Hi, I'm Cura. I'm an award-winning author. I'm traditionally published and dabbling in self-publishing. I write mystery, magic and murder, and you'll find me at curacarpenter.com. Hi, I'm Nick Swidiker, an indie author and a reader and a writer of everything with magic, spaceships and romance. And you can find me at nickswhitaker.com. And I'm Matthew Danaher. I write short stories, help edit Andromeda Spaceways magazine and do a bit of stand-up comedy. You can find me at matthewdanaher.com. Welcome everybody. Tonight we have a guest, Sharon, and I'm going to get Sharon to introduce herself to the audience. Please go ahead. Hi everybody. My name is Sharon Hannaford and I have been writing professionally since 2011. I published my first book on Amazon at the beginning of 2012, right when Kindle was getting started. I've now written eight novels two of which were nominated for Sir Julius Vogel Awards, and I've sold over 60,000 copies. Whoa, Whoa, that is really impressive. So how did you find out about SpecFic NZ, and how long have you been a member? I've been a member, I think, since about 2012, mm-hmm. when I was just looking for like-minded writers. Um, there's uh, obviously yep. a lot of the writer groups in New Zealand are... Uh, romance writers or literary fiction uh, and it was really hard to find fantasy sci-fi people who wanted to talk about the same things I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So you've got a paranormal romance series and I'm wondering if you're able to share with us what are the advantages or disadvantages that you've found with writing a series rather than writing standalones? Okay, first I'm going to say I write urban fantasy. It's a very okay. fine line about paranormal romance and urban fantasy. Generally, if, uh, if you're going paranormal romance, it means that the romance is the stronger element of the book. With urban fantasy, the romance is just a secondary element to the book and it's more about the action and the storyline. So mine is more about action and storyline. Advantages are, I think you get the really long-term development of characters that's really hard to pack into one, into one book. Um, you get readers, if they love your first book, you're kind of guaranteed that they're going to buy all the books thereafter if you keep the same kind of quality. Uh, and it generates a real interest. Um, people can't wait for the next book in that series. It makes it a lot easier to, to keep selling especially on the, on the platforms that I sell on, like Amazon and so on. The disadvantages, you can possibly get stuck in a rut. You don't really challenge yourself. It's easy to stick with those characters that you feel really comfortable with, uh, and it's harder to push yourself, I think. So in regard, regards to sort of um, indie practices, with your pricing strategy, I noticed with your first book in the Hellcat series, it's full price. Whereas a lot of indies will often put that book one as free to be sort of like a loss leader into the series. Do you have a specific strategy for um, being full price instead? It's not really full price. It is on a bit of a discount. Um, What I found was a few years ago that people were actually avoiding the cheap and the freebies. 
Um, that might have changed a little bit now. Yeah, but it got a bit saturated, perhaps. They were yeah. saturated, and a lot of the freebies weren't the best quality. So people had gone to that mid-range price. They were happier to pay to get something that they thought would probably be a bit slightly better quality. Unfortunately, Amazon does play with the prices of the books, so they do go up and down. But it's it is true. generally a dollar, a dollar cheaper just to to try and hook people. Mm. Um, and I noticed that you had started writing a second um, a series, Order of Libra, but you stopped publishing those books in about 2017. Why did you decide not to carry on with that series? That's an interesting question. I did. I felt the need to challenge myself and to get away from Hellcat having written six books. Um, and I didn't want to get stale in that series. And I felt it had kind of reached its zenith the way it had gone with those specific characters so i decided to take a foray into something slightly different away from vampires and werewolves and more towards the magic um uh, the concept of souls and that kind of thing but i found it really didn't sell very well okay um, and i felt like it might be better to go back and sort of alternate between a hellcat book and the order of libra mm -hmm. And uh, at this stage, life has kind of gotten the way and my husband and I have bought a business <laughs> to, uh, as a long-term semi-retirement prospect. So um, at the moment, writing's on hold until I get that finished. I've been, write, I've been working on some children's books because they're quick and easy and it's not a, a nine-month commitment. Yeah, oh, fair enough. But the so idea it sounds like you've had a, sorry? The idea is to go back, at the Order of Libra is supposed to be a trilogy, so hopefully in due course I'll get back to that. Mm. It sounds like you've had a, a really interesting range of experiences with your publishing journey, and I'm wondering, with that hindsight, that valuable hindsight you've gained now, what advice would you give your past self, if possible? I would go back and say you did it, you published at exactly the right time. I was very lucky. I got in pretty much on the ground floor with Amazon. Um, so there wasn't 4 million com competitors for, for the prize at that stage. And one of my books ended up in the, you know, in the top 1000 when I first released, I think it was two on Amazon, the whole of Amazon and ended up in the top 20 of some of the genres. Um, but being out in New Zealand, um, we get a bit complacent. And I think I would have to tell myself to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening all the time. And with that, you need to be involved in groups, especially in the, in the US and to a lesser degree in the UK and finding out what's going on. And these days with indie publishing, you really do need to be a marketing guru which I know it's a weakness for me. It's probably mm -hmm. a weakness for a lot of writers. You know, it's... Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily go hand in hand, being the two. And it really has become something you need to study, you need to take courses, you need to understand algorithms, uh, how things are changing on a weekly basis, how Amazon changed the way they, they do things. Um, and yeah, I think I've kind of fallen away from being on top of it. And I probably would tell myself to to be more involved with groups in the US and try and keep up with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a lot of work. 
it is it's a it's a lot of work and it's not easy work and i think there's going to you end up spending as many hours doing that kind of thing as you do writing these days but it's the only way to keep up with it and you have to consider you have to be able to spend the money on the advertising mm. now in order to bring in that income where when i started you didn't really need to spend money on advertising you know yeah. uh, and i guess that was the problem amazon they needed the, the indies to, to get them going on Kindle. And we did really build the platform uh, where the big name authors didn't want to get involved to start with. And unfortunately now that's the big name authors are really calling the shots. Yeah. So we do have to fight for the scraps and we do need to find the ways to do that and be really proactive about marketing if you want to make a success now. Yeah. Uh I was talking before with uh, Kura that uh, at the moment I'm doing an online um, social media marketing degree at the moment. But you're also from South Africa like me. So you've moved to New Zealand. So do you think being immersed in so many cultures has helped you with your writing? Absolutely. It, it definitely does. And in some unexpected ways, I think you figure out how many ways we are similar to everyone else in the world and you figure out how many ways we're different to everyone else in the world. But I think from a practical sense, um, what it really made me realize is many of the, just the words we use and the way we use words, you've got to be pretty careful because <laughs> oh, yeah. it doesn't always translate very well when you're doing that. I mean, you all yeah. know if, if I say, oh, shame. In yep. South African, oh shame! You would say that about a puppy or a kitten or a baby. Yes. New Zealanders think shame is the traditional version. Yeah, very of the different, word, and they think you're crazy. <laughs> so I think it made me a lot more careful yeah. about the or words just, I use and how I use them. Yeah, yeah, or like just now, <laughs> just now, now, now. My kids know just now and now, now. Yeah. But even things like um, what I find quite odd, the majority of my readers are American. Um, things like um, we would talk about the cubbyhole in a car or the boot of a oh, car. Yes. That, doesn't, that doesn't translate to Americans. So no. you have to find workarounds to those kind of things. Uh, and of course, yeah. uh, avoid I using them in some instances. Yeah. I saw in your blog that you talked about not being like the perfect writer. That's what speech marks there i'm also a big believer in the story needs to shine more than the writing so what do you think the advantages are of having stories that maybe aren't as polished as what some people expect from like the literary crowd do you think there is some plus sides to it absolutely you've got to look at your genre in particular um and there's certain genres. I mean, if you're writing literary fiction, you probably do need to be a lot more specific. When you're writing science fiction or yeah. fantasy or urban fantasy, you've got to stick with the pace and the flow. And you can't be you can't be grammar specific. If you're writing an action scene, being grammatically correct it doesn't work. Not in my opinion. And and I've had some pretty yeah. good compliments about my yeah. action scenes. And if a if an editor who wants to be perfectly grammatically correct got hold of it, they would have a field day. <laughs> and yeah. it just doesn't necessarily flow. So you've kind of got to work with, you've also got to have your own voice. And if you're going to let an editor change every single line of your work, I think your voice is going to disappear. 
So yeah. you've got to stay true to yourself. Um, and I'm really lucky. I, I, my editor lives in, uh, in Canada and we've worked really well together since the first book. She taught me more than any writing <laughs> teacher has ever taught me by going through the first book. And it was, it must have been hours and hours and hours and hours of work with the first book. And from the second book, having learned as much as I did, she, she could actually really lightly edit and would just make vague suggestions here and there. She's yeah. never, ever rewritten anything that I've, that I've done. She's just made suggestions and told me to tighten up, loosen up, do whatever. And it's always been my own words. But you've also, you've got to do what works for yeah. you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because um, i actually a little bit envious of people that can write in that very pretty language, but it's just not me. And like you said, with the genre, it really does depend. I was also reading your rant on Mary Sue's. I absolutely loved that. Uh, <laughs> I've been thinking about that and how many of the criticisms for this day and age on Mary Sue's is basically that it's impossible to have a female character that is just awesome. And I kind of bristle at that. Like, why can't a female character be like, awesome or is it only the realm of like male characters like james bond and jack reacher who would also be kind of your mary sue type characters so do you think mary sue is a little bit more than just a criticism or is it something else that, that's an interesting point actually um if you think about it you don't see you don't see male characters picked out for being a mary sue even though as you say no. they actually are <laughs> What I find interesting is that the times that I've been yeah. picked out for it, it's generally been by another woman. Um, so I'm not sure if it's oh, really? just that woman. You don't really, you wouldn't have a male reviewer picking out a Mary Sue. I, well, I haven't. I could be wrong. Um, so it could just be that women are, are more, in review more often. So maybe that is yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it probably is a bit sad, sad that women do tend to be the ones yeah. who pick out the Mary Sue's. But what I, what I really wanted to, to point out with what I wrote was it's almost impossible not to write a Mary Sue. Um, and it was, it was research I went into when someone pointed out a Mary Sue. And I probably understand where it started from. But the fact is there were so many points that, you couldn't not write a Mary Sue, so it was actually quite laughable. And it's actually, it's just really lazy on a reviewer's part to say you've written a Mary Sue. They're just not being specific mm. enough. They've decided they don't like your character and that's their kind of go-to phrase. And it was, it's just jargon and in the greater yeah. scheme of things. Yeah, I agree. Tell me specifically what you don't like instead of kind of giving this blanket um, kind of criticism. Yeah, yeah and it, it, it's making, especially the Mary Sue, it's making a lot of assumptions about the writer um, because a lot of what the Mary Sue criticism is, is it's based on your life or what your alter ego. So yeah. they're making a lot of assumptions about your life that they actually have no <laughs> idea about. So it, is, it does seem a bit more personal yeah. than, than some of the other more constructive criticism. I wouldn't worry about it as a writer. You do need to give your character flaws. Yes. And I suppose that is, that is the, the takeaway message. Give them flaws. Give them biases. You know, um, give them prejudices. Nobody's perfect. But yeah. by all means, especially female characters, make them as awesome as you can. <laughs> I agree. <laughs>
It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes I think that a Mary Sue is just an awesome character that's badly written. Yeah. So I think that comes back to what you're saying about it's just lazy reviewers um, not actually saying, um, no, not bothering to go into detail. But definitely like um, Nix's example of, of James Bond or Jack Reacher being mm-hmm. Mary. Yeah, yeah. They have no faults. I think that's what it initially was about, was creating characters with no faults and no flaws. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is true that the, the male characters aren't picked out for it as much as female characters are. Mm, I wonder why that is. I wonder. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, your Hellcat series um, features um, vampires and werewolves at the forefront of the story. And um, I was just wondering, that's, that's a, a really commonly used set of um, set of sort of mythical uh, creatures in, in urban fantasy. And I was wondering how you keep them fresh for yourself. Well, that, yeah, that is a challenging one because you can, aside from going with sparkly vampires that <laughs> are indestructible, <laughs> it's very hard to, to reinvent the wheel. Um, but I think, especially in, the, in that kind of genre, people don't expect you to reinvent the wheel but they want fresh perspectives. They want fresh mm. storylines. They want strong characters. Um, the actual fact that someone is a vampire or a werewolf or whatever is secondary to the rest of the story, I think. But it is, it is why I branched out into the Order of Libra, which was completely away from vampires and werewolves and sort of delved more into the concept of souls and... Um, energy that exists in the world just as something different mm. you feel like you need that yeah. energy. give yourself a break from the bloodsuckers and the yes very boys. Uh, yeah i'm starting to feel like that it could be um it obviously was humongously popular um but people are probably looking for something completely fresh at this point mm. although it's one of those things that goes around in cycles isn't it yeah it's when the next Underworld film comes out and it's mysteriously successful, then it will come back again. Yes, and it is, it's interesting, besides Underworld, I mean, urban fantasy is one of the biggest genres li- mm. in the literary world, but there's not a lot of movies made in that regard. It, aside from Underworld, most of them are male-led characters, and most of the urban fantasy really is strong female characters. So it would be nice to see a few more of those made into something bigger yeah that's interesting isn't it urban fantasy seems to have been taken up by tv more than film still not that much by tv given the amount i mean there's some really iconic urban fantasy series out there and i haven't seen any of them yet i suppose aside from true blood um that that diverged quite vastly from the books yeah i used to love that tv series i rewatched it started rewatching it recently and um Decided it hasn't aged that well. <laughs> Lovely. It's like watching Buffy. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Charmed. I don't, I don't allow myself to watch Buffy because I know I'll be disappointed. So um, urban fantasy uh, place is obviously really important. And um, in your Hellcat series, the city is kind of a key, key player in the stories. I was just wondering whether you thought about setting any of your work in New Zealand, given how lucky we are to live in kind of a place that's kind of um famous famously associated with fantasy and kind of amazing landscapes and so on i have funny enough i have just written a children's book based on a little girl (laughs) who's moved from the uk to new zealand Um, and that's been the way i've 
found the easiest to bring New Zealand into a book. I thought initially when I started writing the Hellcat series that the place sitting was very important and I wanted to write about somewhere that I'd lived, which would have been South Africa or New Zealand. And I started writing um, and I agonized for months over where to actually place the Hellcat series until I got about three quarters of the way through the book and I realized it actually didn't matter. And if you read the series, yes, I've had to do some quite tricky workarounds, but the story is so strong that if I started to bring in, if I brought in America, if I said it in America, I would have to bring in who the president was. I'd have to bring in a political situation. If I put it in South Africa, I'd have to bring in the crime or I'd have to bring in the political situation there. And the same in New Zealand. And by that, you kind of date your work. Um, and you do quite possibly shut out some of your readers uh, and you then start, you'd have to bring in elements of the country and make it more of a, of a character in itself. And with my work, I tend to struggle to keep the word count down as it is. So I felt it would be easier to actually just set it in, any, in a city where the reader could actually place it in any city that they've ever lived in or they've ever been in so they feel it could be happening in their own city instead of in a place across the world, you know, halfway across the world. Hmm, that's interesting because I kind of had assumed it was London, but uh, so that, and I lived in London, so. Um. <laughs> there you go, and that's, no. that's exactly it's, it's to make you feel comfortable that it could be a city yeah. near you. Uh, but I did set order, the order of Libra is set in, in London because I have visited London and I have been around London, so. But it's because it's both apocalyptic, you know, you don't have to bring in that political scenario or, or date it quite as specifically. Yeah, definitely. Um, although give it, a, give it a year or two with Brexit and COVID-19. <laughs> um, <laughs> London will be post-apocalyptic. <laughs> um, <laughs> what we'd like to ask now, we always ask, is what have you personally found is the best thing about Longing to spec for Ken Z. Can you say that again? Sorry, you broke up a little. Yeah, sorry. Um, what have you personally found is the best thing about belonging to Specfic NZ? I, it's it's meeting like-minded people. Um, I find I often get asked what I do, and I tell people I'm an author, and people generally straight away assume that I write for children. And when I say I write urban fantasy, I generally have to explain that that entails <laughs> writing about vampires and werewolves. And to be fair, a lot of people almost take a step backwards and you can almost envision that they're trying to cross themselves very quickly. So <laughs> I don't find it's terribly well accepted in New Zealand by the general populace. So trying to find a community of like-minded people has been what it's been all about. And specifically New Zealand not trying to join up with the ones in Australia who've got different experiences um, and have you know different problems different issues so it'd be good it's good to meet people in New Zealand with the same issues that I've got where can people find you online you just need to google Sharon Hannaford um, and about the first two page pages of google <laughs> will have will have stuff of mine but I do have my own website it's sharonhannaford.com um, but I'll be on Amazon, Goodreads, pretty much anywhere that 
sales box. Cool. Okay. Thank you. And we will put um, links to all of those places in the show notes as well. Thank Sounds you. Good.